Feels like something before the big game or something. I want to just start off right this morning by making an assumption. I want to make the assumption, I think it's pretty safe to say that every person that is here in this place and those of you that are with us online are here of your own will and volition. In other words, nobody made you come today. Uh, Outside that, maybe three or four year old here or there that wasn't too happy when mommy woke him up, or maybe the 30 or 40 year old, but, but generally speaking, everybody that's here today came because you wanted to be here. Am I right? And I got a couple of theories about that. I think that there's a lot of people in the house today that came because you believe with all your heart that some 2,000 years or so ago, something happened. You think that? You believe that? And I think that there's other people that are here that would say, not only Pastor Mark, do I believe that back then something happened? I believe that something's happening now, and I didn't want to miss out on it. And maybe that's some of you. Maybe that's a lot of you. The ones I think that are here today that God's put on my heart more than anything else, uh, despite all the wonderful reasons why we're here, what I really believe God's put on my heart today is that there are some people that are here today perhaps desperately longing and wanting and desiring that there would still be something to happen. And that's what I'm praying for today because I believe that something happened, that something is happening, and that something is going to happen today. And I believe with all my heart. How about you? Do you believe that? I read last week when, when you're down to nothing, God's up to something. And here's what I believe God's up to today. That somebody's past is going to be redeemed, somebody's present is going to be renewed, and somebody's future is going to be wide open, teeming and brimming with new opportunities and new joys and new freedom and new life. I made a decision on Tuesday this week. I don't know why Tuesday. It was just Tuesday and I made it. I made the decision on Tuesday that I was going to preach this Easter message like it was my last one. Like I was going to just leave it all out on the field. I wasn't going to hold anything back. And I I just made that decision. I'm going to preach this like it's my last one. Now, I don't believe that it is going to be my last one. I just believe I'm going to preach it like it is. And then next Easter, if I'm back, I'll preach that one like it's the last one. And every Easter, as long as God gives me breath. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like it's my last one today. I don't think it will be. I think it's pretty possible, though, that this is going to be the last Easter for someone here. And I say that not as some sort of morbid omen or anything like that. I just say it. On the pure math of the thing, the pure numbers of it. I didn't ask an actuary, actually, uh, anyway, uh, about that. Uh, but I think if I did, he or she would have said, yeah, you're, you're right about that, Pastor Mark. The odds 
of four, five, six thousand people being in one place at one time and then all being around the next year, that's probably, you know, they're pretty, pretty high. That somebody's not, this is going to be somebody's last Easter. I don't know who, I don't want it to be the case, but it's probably going to be true. So I got a deal for you. You ready? I just want to make this deal with you. How about if I preach this one as though it's my last one, and you listen as though it's your last one? How about if, if, if I do everything I can to, to give you what God wants you to have today, and how about you do everything that you can to receive it? Do we have a deal on that? Because if we do, I promise you something is going to happen. And, and, and here's why I can be sure of that promise. Because I know that what I'm about to give to you doesn't come from me. If that was it, I wouldn't be too sure of it. But I know that what I'm about to give to you comes from God himself. It comes from his word. And his word is powerful. And Jesus said of this word, he said, this word is like, it's like seed. And it's perfect. And it always works, this word. Uh, and it gets sown. And, and it, it just kind of depends on where it gets sown. Because he said sometimes this word, this perfect word that always works, it just falls on hard ground. It, it falls on like the sidewalk. And it's just not going to take off and grow. And, and then sometimes this word, it'll fall on, on ground that uh, is just like filled with rocks. So it never really gets started. And sometimes... It'll get into soil that's good, but there's so many thorns and weeds in it that it'll sprout up a little bit, but then it won't last. It'll die out. It'll get choked out. He said, but sometimes, sometimes when this word falls on good soil, like every time this word falls on good soil, Jesus said, it's like a hundredfold in harvest. And that's why I say that if I give you what God has for you today, and if you're ready to receive that, you're placing your heart in, in a fertile place that something is going to happen. And so I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, come into this place. We want to give Jesus all honor and glory, and, and we want to give the speaking of your word, I want to give it my best. And, and, and so many that are here want to, want to receive it with their best. Will you please move? Holy Spirit, in the resurrection power and in the name of Jesus, and everybody agreed, who agreed said. And, and maybe they had a little more time to think about it, and they said. And maybe they actually really believed it, then they said. Okay, 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 you get, you get the idea. So the seed that I want to sow from, from God to you today comes from two different people. It comes from John and Peter. John and Peter, perhaps you've heard of them before, they were two of Jesus' 12 disciples. They were dear friends of Jesus and they were dear friends of each other. And, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but, but Peter and John were the only two of Jesus' disciples that actually with their eyeballs saw the empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning. 
The other disciples, they saw Jesus alive for 40 days after his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. They saw him, but Peter and John were the only two of those disciples that actually saw the empty tomb on that first Sunday. So this week, I just allowed myself to, to kind of uh, go to a place in my imagination. And I, I began to think, you know, Peter and John, after Jesus' resurrection, they got busy. I mean, their lives were, were just crazy, and they were out there uh, under persecution, and they were, they were spreading the news that Jesus was alive. So I just got this idea that I wonder what it would have been like had they, had they like 10 years after Easter, the 10 years after the first one, the 10th anniversary, that they got back together again, just the two of them. And I just began to wonder about what that conversation would have been like after 10 years preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. Now they're back and maybe one night they're kicking back by the, by the fire pit and they're maybe having a, a glass of wine together and they start reminiscing. And John looks over at Peter and he says, man, remember that, remember that day? Uh, it, was, it was amazing. Peter said, yeah, I, I'll, I'll never forget it. Uh, when Mary, you know, came to me and she told me what had happened, you and I got together and we, we started off, you know, towards the tomb and John says, yeah, and we, we, were, we were walking when we started, but, but then we were running and Peter said, yeah, I know, and John says, yeah, and I kicked your, I kicked your butt, you know, uh, like I, I got there first and Peter said, oh yeah, you, well, you were younger, I mean, like, yeah, you should have gotten there first, but, but when you got there, you just stood outside and looked in, you didn't go in and and, and, and John said, oh, yeah, you, Peter, yeah, oh, yeah, Peter the rock, Peter the, Peter the impulsive, Peter, yeah, you just ran, you just rushed right in. And Peter says, yeah, but at least I went in. And John says, yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you did because then I, I went in too. And then maybe they look at each other and, and, and they move away from this kind of playful testosterone-laced banter back and forth, and they look at each other and their eyes are beginning to fill with tears of joy as they remember. Can you believe it? We were there. We saw it. We saw and witnessed the miracle. And, and then maybe they talked about the first night, Sunday, Easter Sunday night, when when they were locked in a, in a room for fear, you know, if they did that to Jesus, <laughs> this could happen to us. And, and, and then Jesus came. And, and then maybe they talked about the week later when they were there again. And this time Thomas was with them because he missed out the first week. And, and, and then maybe, maybe John and Peter talked about that incredible moment when sometime after that, they kind of gone back to fishing. They didn't really know what to do. And, and one morning they were out on the lake and they were fishing and, and they were just offshore and, and they, they saw that guy over on the shore who yelled out and said, hey guys, any luck catching anything? Maybe you should throw your nets on the other side. And they did. And there's like this moment when John and Peter looked at each other and John says to Peter, it's the Lord, you know. And, and, and then he tells us that, that they tried to get to shore. They're like rowing to shore with this boat full of fish. And Peter can't wait. And he jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore. And I can only imagine 
the conversation that would have gone on between these two. And it's these two that saw that and write about the resurrection. And I thought I wanted to share with you from both Peter and John because they come at it from two different perspectives. They, they, they talk about the resurrection from, from a couple of different angles. Like, for example, John, he tells us about the resurrection. He kind of gives us the facts, the details, kind of this is what happened, this is what happened then, this is what happened next. Whereas Peter is writing about this, some scholars say probably wrote this letter in the early 60s, so this could have been 20, 25, 30 years after they saw this resurrection, and he's now writing about that. And Peter writes not about the events or the facts or the details, but he writes about the implications and the results of the resurrection. I think that that would be really important for us to hear. So let's start with Peter, and let me read to you from his first letter in the first chapter, and I'm starting at verse 3. Peter says, Blessed be, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And so Peter says there are several things that we have as a result of the resurrection. And the first thing is this. He says, blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. His great mercy. How about today? Let's just say this. In the resurrection, we have magnificent mercy. Remember, again, who's writing these words. On that first Easter Sunday morning, when Peter saw the empty tomb, perhaps he reflected back and realized only a few days before there had been a conversation. Mind you, the Scripture does not give us any record of conversation between Jesus and Peter in between these two kind of like moments. And the first one was when Jesus was with his disciples and he said, on Thursday night, tonight, one of you will betray me and the rest of you are going to desert me. You're going to run away. And Peter, like, Peter like throws his, his own buddies under the bus and says, oh, all these might, might desert you, Jesus, but not me. Never me. You can count on me. But what you could count was just a few hours later, before the morning, what you could count were the three times that Peter denied ever even knowing Jesus. I can't imagine the, the guilt and the shame and the regret and the remorse that he felt, the last conversation that he had with Jesus, and then he was crucified. Can you imagine? Now, over the course of, of years, I've been in a few opportunities where I've been trying to help someone get over what they, they, they haven't been able to get over because they, they think back to the last conversation that they ever had with someone that they've lost. The worst one of, of, of all time was actually someone pretty close to me, someone in our family. 
our extended family, who, who in a fit of anger as a teenage daughter said to her dad, I wish you were dead. And only a few hours later, she was away from home and her dad, still in his 30s, dropped over from a massive stroke and died. If you can imagine the, the, the utter horror of this last conversation that you had before this one that you really, truly loved died. And that's, what, that's what's going on with, with Peter. He's in the same place, and Peter's saying, this is what the resurrection brings. It brings magnificent mercy. It brings this, this, this newfound forgiveness. By the way, about that swim that Peter took to see Jesus, about that swim, we're told, this is incredible, John, who's writing about it, John, his buddy, writing about this, he records that when they got to the shore, they found Jesus, who was cooking fish, grilling fish over a charcoal fire. He's very specific about these details. You ask, well, we don't really need to know that. Here's what's really awesome about it. There's only one other place in John's gospel where he refers to a charcoal fire. Do you know where it was? It was in the courtyard. It was on that, the wee hours of that Friday morning when Peter was in the courtyard warming his hands over a charcoal fire when he denied him three times. Can you imagine, every time, G, every time Peter would smell a charcoal fire after that, the, the, the smell of regret? And now here he is on the shore, and he's smelling the charcoal fire, which probably reminded him of that horrible, horrible dark night, and now Jesus restores him and loves him and forgives him and gives him a, a new start all over again. You talk about magnificent mercy. And if God can do that for Peter, let me tell you, people, he can do it for you. If you've got regret or shame or guilt somewhere in the past, God will take that away. Whatever it is that you've done, if you think it's too much, it to, however far it is that you might be, God would say to you today, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have magnificent mercy. And then he goes on to say a, a couple of other things. First, he says, he's caused us, in verse 3, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. I think in the spirit of what we've been talking about over these last several weeks, let's just call this, a, in the resurrection, we have a happening hope. I mean, this hope is happening. It's like alive. It's on fire. It's real. It's not the kind of hope like the world gives. It's not like saying, I, I, I hope she goes out with me if I ask her. You know, I, I hope that I get accepted to that college that I applied to. I, I hope that I get that promotion. I, I hope that Scott Frost can, can turn the whole thing around. I, I, I hope that, that, that these investments I have in the stock market, I hope they work out. It's not that kind of hope. This is a sure and certain hope in the resurrection because here's the deal. If Jesus can say of his life, I will lay down my life and they will crucify me and they will bury me but on the third day I will rise again and then do that, then it means that every word that he speaks, you can take that to the bank. It's true. And so there is this living hope, this happening hope, this sure and certain hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ. And then he says, 
you also have been given this, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that's kept in heaven for you. In the resurrection, there is an imperishable inheritance. Now, I know that there's an annual gathering of a lot of people here in Omaha where thousands of people get together and they're very interested in their investments and their portfolios and in the inheritance that they hope that they're able to leave to their loved ones. And maybe there are even some of you in the house that listened a lot of years ago to the, to the Oracle of Omaha and you bought in. And if you're in the house and you did that, people would say, man, are you set for life or what? And you would be for this life in that way. But when you put your faith, not in a pretty impressive stock, but in the resurrected Jesus, you have an inheritance that will set you for not just life, but eternal life. And these are the blessings that Peter writes about. This is an inheritance that you have that is not kept for you on Wall Street or in a bank. It's kept, he says, in heaven for you, and you can never lose that. These are the blessings that God would give to us in his resurrected son. Magnificent mercy, happening hope, and imperishable inheritance. So we have to be thankful to Peter for sharing us his perspective on the resurrection. Now for his buddy, his friend John. This is what it says in John's gospel. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's how John, by the way, refers to himself. So he's really talking about himself in the third person. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes. Now let me point out a couple of really cool things. First of all, in verse 5, it says that he, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. John, referring to himself and remembering what happened on that first day, clearly remembered that when he got there, he, he, he bent over and, and he looked inside, but he didn't go in. And it says that he says he saw. Now, this is just a cool little thing that you would never know from the English, but 
He uses the Greek word here in the original language, blepo. And blepo just simply means he saw with his eyes. Like you're seeing me up on the screen today. You just see that. You see something's happening back here behind me. You're seeing it with your eyes. That's it. You're just seeing it. And that's what John says, I saw it. But when he comes to Peter, he says, Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and he saw. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And when John says that Peter saw, he uses a different word. He doesn't use the word blepo. He uses this Greek word, and you can hear the English word that comes out of it. He uses the word theoreo, from which we get our word theorize. So John was saying he just simply saw stuff, but when Peter went in, he saw it in such a way. This word means to observe something intensely, looking for an explanation. And even the way John wrote this, you can kind of see that. Peter's looking, he's seeing the linen cloths, he's looking at the face cloth, that it wasn't with the linen cloths, he sees that it's all folded up. He, what Peter is doing is seeing it with his eyes, but with his ration and with his reason and with scrutinizing the details, he's kind of trying to figure this out. Like, if these were grave, ro- grave robbers that came, they would have never left the linens like that. They were filled with expensive spices, and they wouldn't have folded up. Peter's going, nah, this isn't adding up. And then it says, he saw and believed. And then John adds in verse 8, the other disciple, him again, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Now, why am I making a big point of this? For this reason. A lot of times people say of Christians, people who follow Jesus, that they do it just because, they, well, they just choose to believe. Like, you know, they don't really use their ration or their reason, just kind of blindly just kind of follow along. And what I want to tell you today is while faith is absolutely integral to a follower of Jesus and faith is something that catches and and grabs a hold to the the grace that God wants to give, as, as that's so important, it's not a blind faith. It's based on unration, on reason, and here there's evidence and Peter's kind of checking out the evidence. And then, not just this, but for 40 days after, Jesus appears many times to many people, one time to 500 people, and then years as the years roll on. If this didn't happen, why would Peter be crucified upside down? Why would the other disciples be martyred for a faith that somehow was all made up? What I'm trying to say to you is that this happened. Something happened 2,000 years ago, and I need somebody to tell me you're here. Are you with me? Something happened. So Peter saw and believed and wrote this down so that you could believe. And John saw and believed and wrote this down so that you might believe. And here's what I'm wondering about this morning. I'm wondering if, if there isn't a lesson that God has for us here. I wonder if, back to mentioning that we all chose to be here, I wonder if the reason that we chose to be here to celebrate what has 
happened and we didn't want to miss out what's happening today is because there's a lot of people who, like Peter, got to the, got to the grave and they, and they went in and, and they, they saw and they believed. And they've believed and known Jesus for most all their lives. That would be me. I, I heard about Jesus when I was a, a tiny little kid. I've always known him and I've always seen him. I've always believed. But maybe there's also other people like like this John, who at first is stooping down looking, but then finally John goes in, and when he goes in, it says that he sees and he believes. And that might describe a lot of people here who, who came to know Christ a little bit later on. But, but here's the deal. Is it possible that in your faith journey right now, you might be John before he went in? Look at it again. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. He looked in, but he didn't go in. He stood on the outside and kind of observed, but he wasn't too sure. I wonder if that possibly could describe anybody here this morning. And might the seed that God is sowing in your heart now lead you to recognize that if I came for something to happen to me today that this is your moment, that this is what this has all been about, that, you know, we don't have an empty, we don't have an empty tomb uh, for you to stoop and look into and, and walk into today, but we have a lot of empty space right down here by, uh, by the front. We have a lot of empty space. Let's let this be our empty tomb this morning, because it just might be that someone here today receiving this word of God into their lives is saying, man, I gotta, I gotta stop, I gotta stop from, from, from just stooping and, and, and bending over and looking in. I gotta go in. I gotta go in. Maybe that's you today. And maybe in just a moment when I give you that opportunity, you're gonna start off like John and Peter did, just kind of walking. But it's going to get too exciting. You're going to have to run. So I just want to say, if you want to run up here in just a minute, that's fine with me. Just be real careful. All right? And, and if you want to come, if, if God's saying, you know, come on in. Don't stand on the outside and wonder. Just come on in. You're going to see and you're going to believe. If that's you, I want you to, if you're with a friend, bring your friend. If you're with a family, Bring your family, and when we're all done today, we're gonna, I'm just going to pray for you. And this is the something that we've been, that's happening that we've been looking forward to. But here's, here's what I really want you to know. Please, hear this. We've been talking a lot about the something that would happen. But it turns out that all along it's not necessarily about something. It's about someone. The something that's happening actually is about someone and something that God would bring to someone. And maybe that's you today. From God's perspective, from our perspective, from our perspective, Easter is all about Him. But I want you to know this. From God's perspective, this is all about you. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him 
would not perish but have everlasting life. That tells me that this is about you from God's perspective. So are you ready? Has the seed that's been sown into your heart today taken root enough for you to say, you know what, Pastor Mark, I have, you're right, I've been standing on the outside kind of looking in and I'm ready to come in. Because if that's you in just a moment, I'm going to give you that opportunity, but I'm asking all of us if we could please just stand up right now as we prepare ourselves. And I just want to say, if you've been waiting for something to happen, this is your moment. It's not so much what you're doing as much as it is what God's done. You're just simply responding. His seed is powerful. He's at work in His Word. And if God has been speaking to you today, I'm going to start, I'm going to begin right now to ask you just to come on down now. As I said, we don't have an empty tomb, but we got a lot of empty space. Just from wherever you are, just begin to come. If you have to run, that's okay. Go ahead and run, just be careful. If you're with a friend, bring your friend. If you're with your family, bring your family. And this is one of those times... You don't need to be bashful. You don't need to be worried. Well, what, if, what will people say? Well, hey, we've all been here. I just want to encourage you. Do you need mercy? Is there something that is, has gone on in your past that you, you've just not been able to get freed from that? Like it just bugs you. It bothers you. You can't get, you feel like you're in a prison because of it. If, if that's you, my goodness, don't stay outside and stoop and look in. Just come on in. From wherever you are, some of you are going to have to work a little hard to get here because the steps aren't real convenient in places. And as we we sing this closing song, I'm just going to extend the time during that song that you would come forward. Do you need mercy? Do you need hope? Are some of you kind of a little bit lacking on hope these days? That you need a certain hope? You need a, a confidence that God is in your life? Then I just encourage you, please, come. Don't stand outside and looking. Come on inside all the way. And, and maybe there's this, you know, you're worried about your finances and your, your, your worldly inheritance, but, but the, the biggest thing is, is eternal life. And maybe you say, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I can't be sure of that. There's a lot of people that when you ask them, if you die tonight, you know, are you sure you go to heaven? And most people say, well, I hope, I'd hope so, but I don't know. You can know for sure Because it's not up to you, it's up to what God's done. And that's what Jesus' death and resurrection are all about. So if that's you, please come. Spread out to the left and right, can we please, so that we can make room for others that are going to be coming. And in in just a moment, I'm going to pray for you guys. And uh, and then we're going to do that after we sing. And and please, don't, don't hesitate, come on. This this is your moment. This is your time. This is not about something happening. It is something happening. It's about someone. It's about you. It's about God's love for you. And as we're standing here and as we sing, wherever it is that we're, we're singing from, this is our opportunity to just declare the wonderful, powerful, and beautiful name of Jesus. After we've done singing, I'll pray for you. And then uh, sometimes we think about this last song. Is this the exit song? No, no, this is not the exit song. This is the grand finale. This is awesome. 
I want you to look at the words. I want you to sing the words like you, maybe you never have before, that he has no rival and he has no equal. And the power of the grave could not keep him down. Let's sing it like we mean it. And God, we mean it. We thank you in Jesus' name. And we give you praise.